You know, God never created losers. <laughs> Just read your Bible. He took some of the worst losers you can think about and made them winners. So that's, God's in that business. Let's open our Bibles this morning to the 15th chapter of the book of Genesis. For several weeks, I have been teaching from the book of 2 Peter and um, talking about what we call the series Last Words for the Last Days. Those are the last recorded words of the Apostle Peter shortly before he died. And, uh, you know, those are very, very important words. But we're taking a little break in that today. We'll pick it back up next week. Today is just a, uh, we're just inserting a message. And I'm doing it because I felt really led of the Lord to do this. So there is something here that we need. And there are probably individuals here that you really needed this kind of interruption in the series to, to hear what's going to be said today. We trust the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to read a good bit of the chapter. That's, that's quite, quite a bit of, uh, quite a bit of uh, reading. We'll probably read 18 verses. We don't always do that either, but we're, we're going to because I want you to get the uh, timeline here. I want you to see the setting. And, of course, this is uh, God and Abraham. And we all know who Abraham is, the father of Isaac, who was the father of Jacob and the 12 patriarchs of Israel. And so we understand Abraham is probably most well-known uh, for his faith. He was the uh, founder, if you will, of the entire Jewish race. But uh, even more than the physical aspect of the family he, he founded, was his faith in God and what that did because that affected all of us. For it was through the seed of Abraham that Jesus came. And of course, uh, all that depended on Abraham being a faithful covenant partner with God. So let's begin to read with verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, Whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? So that's his question. Lord God, whereby shall I know? And he said unto him, here's God's answer. Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came up down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, 
know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years and also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge and afterward shall they come out with great substance and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace thou shalt be buried in a good old age by the way he lived to be 175 but in the fourth generation they shall come hither again for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark behold a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces that's those pieces of of the animals that had been slain in the same day now here is God's answer to Abraham's question in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river the river Euphrates and then he begins to list all the different people uh, who were there but the land had been given to Abraham and to his seed so when Abram asked of the Lord whereby shall I know and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand but I would say probably most everybody in here at some point in your life, in your walk with God, you have been there at that place. Not because you didn't believe that God is God. Not that you were an unbeliever per se. But you just didn't know how in the world this is going to work. It looks impossible. Maybe the devil told you you're too old. Maybe he told you you're too uneducated. Maybe he told you that too many years have passed and you're too far behind schedule that you could not possibly get caught up or you couldn't prosper, you couldn't do this or that or the other. I mean, he has all kinds of those sad stories that he tries to sell to us. And in those times, we have a tendency to question things. And we have a tendency to just, you know, try to figure it out. And though we may not actually ask that question directly to the Lord, it's kind of the thing where our heart goes at, from time to time. But God gives an answer to those kind of questions. And his answer is, I made a covenant with you. You see, that's what this whole thing was about, the killing of animals and... Uh, cutting them up in pieces and laying them on, you know, opposite sides. you got to understand now the picture, and I know we're going to have lunch after this is over, and so I hope this doesn't bother your lunch at all, but there would have been blood all over the place. There would have been blood everywhere. It would have gotten on Abraham's hands, probably up to his elbows or beyond. It probably would have gotten all over the clothes that he was wearing. It would have been soaked into the ground. And these were pieces of raw animal, raw meat laying there. And he was walking between them. Now, in our modern day, 2023 mindset in America, we just can't hardly fathom what that would be about. Why is that necessary? What's going on? Well, in that ancient time, this, was, this would have been how a major covenant would have been established. 
covenant was and still is God's answer to our questions about what he will and will not do. And though we today are not, thankfully we don't have to offer blood in our worship, we still come to God in worship on the basis of blood. The blood. The blood of Jesus Christ. Covenant is a God idea. It was given to man to create agreements that are legal, binding, unchangeable, and lifelong. The ancient covenant was always a legal agreement. It was always binding on the parties involved. There was no way to get out of it. Covenants were unchangeable. You couldn't change your mind. You had no, you know, 10 days and then you bring it back or whatever. No, these were permanent. And they were for as long as you live. Now, some of you can, you know, you're already going ahead. That means that a covenant God makes is forever because it's for as long as God lives. Amen. It is the oldest type of valid agreement between two or more parties in recorded history. A covenant, in Bible terminology, is more than a simple contract. And here's the major difference. A covenant was backed by the lives of the makers. I mean, you know, if you go tomorrow and buy a whiz-banger pickup truck with all the bells and whistles, and you sign a contract that for the next 1,428 months you're going to pay X number of dollars <laughs> to buy that truck. And then about somewhere along about 600 months down the road, uh, you, you, you decide, I, I can't do this or I'm not going to do this, and you quit doing it, guess what? They're not going to come kill you. They're not going to come and kill you. They're going to come get your truck. And, you know, it's going to ruin your credit. And I don't know what else, but they're not going to kill you. A biblical covenant, you were killed when you broke it. If, if the other party didn't come do it, his descendants would do it. Anybody ever watch any of the 40,000 parts of the Godfather? Well, this is not the Godfather. This is Father God. And uh, any covenant he deals with, you're dealing with him forever. And anybody he's in covenant with, how they treat that covenant partner, God's watching. Remember what he told Abraham? Those that bless you, I'll bless. Those who curse you, I'll curse. God is not playing around when it comes to covenant. This is serious business. But the interesting thing is covenants are always agreements that we commit to voluntarily. No, no real biblical covenant was forced on anybody. It's always a voluntary entrance into the covenant. And so 
to break the covenant, it was always understood that if you broke the covenant, if you did not fill, fulfill rather your commitments for the covenant, that your life, your actual life would be demanded. The Hebrew word for covenant in the Old Testament means an incision. It means to cut, to literally cut until blood flows. It's not just a scratch. It's an incision. It's a place where blood flows. So a covenant is actually a blood-sworn oath. A blood-sworn oath that's legal, binding, unchangeable, and for life. There are two words that you can uh, think about that make the basis for all biblical covenants, and that is, number one, loyalty, and number two, integrity. It's interesting that it's not wealth, it's not a certain degree of net worth, it's not about the education uh, or lack of it of the persons involved. It's, it's none of those natural things that in many cases are important to us. Just really two basic things. Loyalty and integrity. That's what makes val uh, covenants valid. That's what makes a covenant valuable. And that's what makes a covenant sure. We all probably know somebody, if we've lived very long on earth, that you just couldn't quite believe what they said. Maybe you like them. You know, there are some very likable liars. There's some very charming uh, liars. But when it comes uh, to, to a covenant with somebody like that, you really don't want to enter into that kind of a, an agreement. Just think about probably the most uh, common modern picture of this kind of a covenant is when two people get married. You ever wondered why that phrase is in there? Till death do you part? It's right here. It's covenant. It's covenant. And I'm not trying to be crude and I'm not going to stay here long, but if the marriage is between two virgins, it's a blood covenant. It's a lifelong blood covenant. Till death do us part. So this is, this is really something. Now let me ask you, would you want to enter into that kind of a covenant with someone that you didn't think was going to be loyal to you? Would you want to get married to somebody that you knew was a habitual liar? And you could never believe what they were telling you? you? You didn't feel like they were honest? No. Well, when God does covenant, He knew what He would do. And in the case of Abraham, I mean, I'm calling him Abraham. His name had not been changed at this point, but it would be. Actually, that's a part of the covenant as well. When you and I entered into our new covenant, there was a new name written down in glory. Our identity changed. Amen. It'd be just like if you went right now and you took the picture for your passport and you got your passport and then you had a total facelift. Changed your hair, 
you know, just totally changed how you look. Well, it might be hard for a customs agent or an immigration person to know if that really is you that they're looking at. Well, when we came into Christ, we were so changed that in the realm of the Spirit, we're not even the same person. The change was so drastic and so radical and so powerful and so good, I might add, that God actually had to write a book and send it to us so we could read it and find out who we really are. And James calls it a mirror. So when I want to see what I look like, <laughs> it's not that thing in the bathroom that I'm in admiration of. It's this here. This is who I am. I am who the Word says I am. I think we'll have to sing that again for sure. Amen. I am who the Word says I am. I am who God says I am. Identification with Christ. Loyalty and integrity make covenants. God knew that he could count on Abraham, but Abraham voluntarily entered into this kind of relationship with God. He knew Abraham had been raised in what is now modern-day Iraq. He was raised by an idolater father. His father, Terah, we know from Scripture, was an idolater. He did not come from some pious, godly home and background. But he was called out from among his people. And he was introduced to Jehovah God, the God of the universe. And he gladly accepted the God of the universe and began to build a relationship with him. And he got to this point where God's beginning to see that this is the one that I can use to fulfill my ultimate in covenant, which is to bring Jesus the Savior into the earth to save man that's lost. And so he found in this man, Abram, a man of integrity and a man of loyalty. And he's always looking for those people to do great things through in the earth. And it's important to God and it's important to us because a covenant is no better than the loyalty and the integrity of the people who make the covenant. God's covenants are forever. You can read in His Word. He cannot change His Word. God Himself cannot alter His Word. You know, you get kind of amused a little bit. Some of these people arguing about the sovereignty issue. Well, of course God's sovereign. But once a sovereign God in his sovereign power decides in his sovereign all-knowing mind that I'm going to sovereignly say that I'm going to sovereignly do something, that's it. He can never undo that. That's why God doesn't always talk as much as some people seem to make out like he does. He's not the God of idle chatter. He's the God of a secure, loyal faith-filled word. Amen. And I'll tell you, he has already said enough stuff till it's kept me busy for 65 years, and I'm not even getting close to, to finishing. Amen. Hallelujah. God's covenants are forever. He cannot change. He cannot alter his word. When God promises, when God commits, he does so voluntarily, sovereignly, voluntarily, and he does so eternally. We could say it in modern terminology that covenant is God's way of sealing the deal. You know, you go in to buy that super duper truck I was telling you about. Have you noticed that the salesman is doing everything he or she can to get you back in that little cubicle to start writing your name and signing your name? 
all those times. And even there's so many signatures nowadays that they'll even, usually one of their lines always is, just a few more. <laughs> you know, just a few more and then we're done. And you know, you sign them in ink. They won't let you use a pencil. They won't let you use a crayon. Not even the number two pencil. Or not even those big fat pencils you used when you were in kindergarten or first grade. SBN, why? Because they want something that's indelible. They want something that's permanent, something that can't be changed. Modern day ink is the equivalent of the ancient blood. So you enter into those contracts and you voluntarily bind yourself to doing what the contract says. A covenant is God, when He makes a covenant, rather, it's God binding Himself saying, that before I would alter or before I would break, before I wouldn't keep what I'm getting ready to say, I would die. Well, we know that's not going to happen. So that means whenever I open my Bible and I read, you know, I just pick a verse, pick your favorite verse, whatever it may be. Your favorite verse about divine healing, your favorite verse about God meeting your needs, your favorite verse about his willingness to guide you, lead you, and show you things to come. Pick any verse you want to pick that God declares what he's going to do for you as one of his kids. And you have found something that it is impossible to change or break. And so that's why when symptoms come, you don't have to be afraid. That's why whenever the circumstances look bad, you do not have to panic because God will keep His Word. And you know, you hear people sometimes, they say, well, you know, I tried all that and it just, it just didn't work. No, friend, you didn't try the Word. The Word tried you and you didn't have the degree of loyalty and integrity and consistency to stay with it. You know, every temptation, every test, every, every attack of the devil is a gamble on his part. You know, the devil is a gambler. He really is. And by the way, the devil isn't capable of covenant because the devil has no integrity. And he's already proven he's not loyal. So the devil's not capable of covenant, but he knows the power of covenants. And that's why one of the things he does so consistently is to fight against you and me learning and then relying on and properly using our covenant with God. Because he knows in this gamble of a test, a temptation, or a trial that he brings, he knows that if you stand on the word and you don't quit, he has to. And he also knows that the moment you quit, he's won. And there's so, so many precious, dear saints of God that just quit right before the victory came. You know, the, the, the book of Revelation talks about Satan wearing out the saints. Or is it Daniel? One of those prophetic scriptures talking about the, uh, wearing out the saints. Now, he's not talking about giving you a good whooping. You know, where I come from, when somebody got wore out, we knew what that meant. Does anybody know what it means to get wore out? I'm not talking about being tired. <laughs> well, the devil wants to wear you out really both ways. 
He wants to just completely exhaust you of your faithfulness and your commitment. And he wants to make your life miserable. But what we need to understand is that we are actually in one of these covenants with God. The terms of God's covenants are spelled out through his words. Now, I know, you know, I said I'm not going to take all day, and I'm not. We're going to get you out of here before the hamburgers are cold. But the terms of God's covenants are always spelled out in his words. Now, nowhere does the Bible say from the pen of God, this or that or the other was, was established. It was always by the voice of God. So God spoke. That's how he communicated words. And in our study of Second Peter, we've learned that holy men of old, you know, they, they spoke even prophetically as they were moved upon, impelled by the Holy Spirit. Well, God uses words. And then for the benefit of mankind, his words were written down. That's what your Bible is. And they were written so that we could not only read them, but that we could speak them. The power is in the speaking. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need to read. There's nothing wrong with reading. You know, you're on a plane and you're reading. You're, uh, you know, you're in a waiting room maybe and you read. You know, you take your phone out. You're reading scripture. That's wonderful. But I really would encourage you to spend some time regularly where you read out loud. Let your voice repeat what God has already said. Because when I read what God has said, I'm quoting God. You know, sometimes people will quote what some important or famous or very authoritative person said, you know, and, and because of who said it, that makes their quote weighty and important and worth listening to. We get that. Well, I tell you, there's nobody more weighty and no important to quote than God Almighty. So when I quote Philippians 4.19, for instance, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote that under the direct inspiration of the Holy Ghost. So that's God saying that to me. There's no, no situation that I'll ever face then that is more valid, more important than that word. And so whatever doesn't look like that word, got to change. That's what it's about. It's about changing the circumstances, changing the circumstances in life, moving the mountains. We're in a fallen world ever since the fall, and we deal with that until one day after a while when all that's over. But right now we're dealing with that, and our basis for declaring these truths is the terms of God's covenant that has been spelled out in his word. Amen. Now I want to um, uh, point out uh, three areas of covenant and trust me it's not going to take 20 minutes per each one. Just briefly. We've already talked about number one God's covenant with Abraham. You'll notice that in the declaration of this covenant time God spoke about things that would concern Abraham's seed down to four generations. Uh, 400 years rather. So what I want you to understand is your covenants with God not only affect you now, but they will affect your children and your children's children. 
And I'm not talking about just leaving a, a nice inheritance. I'm talking about the power of covenant. I'm talking about the power of covenant people's confessions and prayers. I'm convinced, based on what I've been able to find out about people who've gone before me, that one of the reasons that I am here today ministering to you and you're even here listening to what I have to say is because of prayers of people who are now in heaven. God keeping covenant with people who came before me. God changed Abraham's name. And in Gen and James 2.23, Abraham is actually called a friend of God. A friend of God. Can you imagine being a friend of God? And so people that messed with Abraham were messing with God's friend. Which means if you, if you didn't treat him right, you had God to answer to. So, you know, somebody may look at you and think you're just old so-and-so. And it's all right if I do you dirty. It's all right if I talk down to you. It's all right if I don't treat you right. It's all right if I defraud you. But what they don't know is you have a covenant partner that sees everything they're doing. And the blessing of Abraham actually is upon you. Galatians 3, 13 and 14, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So if I do you wrong, I am touching God's covenant partner. And that's a dangerous place to be. That's a dangerous place to be. Uh, Abraham's covenant with God affected those who dealt with Abraham and those who would even deal with his kids. Remember, in four, four centuries later, Abraham had already physically died, but it was because of God's covenant with Abraham that he heard the cries of the people in Egypt and delivered them by basically bankrupting what was then the greatest empire on the planet to bring their wealth into the hands of Abraham's descendants. Isn't it amazing? The power of covenant. Now let me t tell you about one more. And that's found in 1 Samuel chapter 18. We don't have time to read it. But that is the covenant that was made between King David, before he was king actually, and the son of the current king named Jonathan, who was Saul's son. And you've read the story, probably many of you have, how that David and Jonathan entered into covenant and they, they had great uh, love for each other as brothers, so to speak. They, they entered into a covenant. And so when Jonathan was killed, along with his father Saul, now you've got to understand, in case you need reminded or you don't know the story, Jonathan, Jonathan's father Saul was trying to kill David for a great long time. David was on the run. He was a fugitive, if you will. And hiding out in caves and different things like that. And Saul made David's life very, very difficult. But Jonathan had a covenant with David. So Jonathan was trying to protect him, trying to help him, and so on and so forth. Well, the day finally came when both Saul and Jonathan were killed in a battle. And David heard about it. Now, just put yourself in this place for a moment. David had already been anointed as the king. He knew he was supposed to be king. God's anointing was on him. And Saul had treated him like a dog. And so the word comes, your worst enemy in the world is dead. Saul is dead. And you could look at David and say, God saved the king. 
David didn't rejoice. David mourned. And he was told a story how that Saul uh, was wounded in battle. No doubt mortally wounded, but he hadn't died yet. And how that somebody uh, went up and saw Saul in this shape and Saul actually asked him. He was suffering, no doubt, in great agony. And so this guy just fell on him with his sword and finished him off and killed him. You know what David did to that guy? He said, bring him here and kill that man. And killed him. This is loyalty to the max. He never called Saul anything but God's anointed because at one time he had been anointed as king of Israel. You say, why? Because covenant. The power of covenant. Covenant produces honor. Covenant produces respect. Covenant produces a connection that will not be broken just because somebody looks at us crosswise or maybe responds to us a little quick or hateful, you know, they're in a bad mood or whatever. Covenants are powerful. So much so that when you get to 2 Samuel chapter 9 and 2 2 Samuel uh, uh, 4, I think it is, and... uh, it's chapter 9, I'm sorry. And uh, you've, you've got to understand, years have passed. Time has went by. David's now king. Solomon is, uh, Saul, rather, is dead. Jonathan is dead. David is the king. And so one day he asks the people around him in his court, he said, is there anybody of the house of Saul that is left that I could bless We're talking about covenant. And particularly, he wanted to know about Jonathan. And they said, well, there is one of Jonathan's sons. He's living in a place called Lodibar, out in the desert wilderness, a terrible place. When Saul fled the capital... Uh, and Jonathan's uh, family, all of that was going on, this little baby named Mephibosheth. And by the way, aren't you glad your mother did not name you <laughs> Mephibosheth? Can you imagine telling the call center person, your name is what, sir? My name is Mephibosheth. Read your Bible. Anyway, uh, they said that he had one son, And he's lame in his feet. And the reason, of course, he was lame is because when they were fleeing the capital, the nurse, the nanny, whatever you want to call it, that had little Mephibosheth dropped him, dropped him on his feet. And there were no, they didn't do anything medically for him, so he grew up lame. And he was down in this horrible place, this place that was not productive, not you know, it wasn't an oasis in the desert. It was a terrible place. And he was there basically hiding. And for years he had been able to escape what he felt would be certain death. Because in those days, conquering kings always killed the former king's entire family. You wiped out everybody that could have a claim to the throne. You got rid of your opposition. Remember I said winning is really important. But anyway, that's, that's another subject, another subject. Forgive me, forgive me. Anyway, so here is Mephibosheth. And so David said, go get him. Now you've got to imagine yourself. You're Mephibosheth. You're sitting in your seat, your chair, wherever you were. And all of a sudden you see all of these royal 
army people coming on their horses and they are coming toward you and they want to know, where is Mephibosheth? And you're thinking, this is it. I got by this long and now it's over. They get him up. They take him into David. And you know what Mephibosheth does? He falls down on his face in front of David. And he says, I'm just a dead dog. So you know the next time you see a dead dog on the road, you'll know you can call it that's Mephibosheth. He said, I'm a, I'm a dead dog. He knew he was dead in his mind. And David said, no. He said, I'm going to restore everything that should rightfully be yours. Everything you would have inherited from your father. And besides that, I'm going to take care of you the rest of your life. You will sit at my table and you will eat. Now, I, that moves me because what that says to me is the power of covenant. And this is a covenant between two men who recognized from God, who taught humans about covenant, how powerful this relationship was. It totally changed Mephibosheth's life. Totally took him from Lodabar, this awful, terrible place of famine and drought and all that, and brought him to a place where he sat at the king's table. He ate the best. He wore the best. He lived in the best. He enjoyed the best for the rest of his life. And that's exactly what God has done for us. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I don't know where your loaded bar was or what it looked like, but aren't you glad you don't live there anymore? Yeah. Woo, glory. And all of it's because of this last covenant that I want to tell you about, and that's the one between Jesus the Son, Jesus the Christ, and God the Father. You see, when we talk about, and you guys can come on if you want, when we talk about our new covenant, we know we're talking about the New Testament. We talk about our covenant with God. We understand it's a covenant of blood. We understand what that means. But one of the things that to me is most precious about our covenant with God today is the fact that God did not come to you or to me or anybody else we know that's just a regular human and ask us to remain loyal and full of integrity and full of consistency and to be totally perfect all the days of our lives and that if we did so, then we could get into heaven, then we could enjoy a relationship with God. No, he knew we couldn't do that. He knew that was beyond anything we could produce on our best day. So what did he do? The second person of the Trinity, the Word, was made flesh and said, I'll go do it for them. I will identify with them. I will become a man. And I will substitute for them. And everything that's necessary for them to have this kind of a covenant with Almighty God, I will perform on their behalf. And therefore, if they will come into me, a.k.a. Be born again. If they'll come into me, through me, they can have a covenant with God. So hanging between heaven and earth on that cross 
was God. Manifest in flesh. So God was on the cross. The last Adam, the last man, that's what Adam means, was on the cross. So on behalf of God Almighty and on behalf of men on the earth that he identified with, he took all of our sin and all of our penalty and blood was everywhere. It was running. It had come out of his hands, his feet, his side, his head, the stripes and wounds on his back. It was a bloody sight. It looked worse than what Abraham had walked through because those were just animals. Because people in the old days used animals to represent them. And the only way they would have to give their life is if they broke the covenant. Well, Jesus was our substitute. And he shed his blood to give us a covenant relationship with God that only could be broken, only can be broken, if either God the Father breaks it and ceases to exist, or if Jesus, our Savior, breaks it and ceases to exist. We know that neither of those two things will ever happen. And that's why this covenant is as sure today as it was the day Jesus got out of the grave. It's not a different one. It is the same blood covenant. And it's, it's between God the Father and God the Son. How did I get into it? Because I'm now in Christ. I'm along for the ride. You ever seen those Westminster kennel dog shows, those beautiful dogs? I'm sure they wouldn't want to admit it, but there's got to be a time or two that there's been a flea or two there. And so I think of myself, Nick, as kind of like a flea on a world champion dog. I mean, no disrespect to anybody, but, you know, I'm just along for the ride. I, I couldn't do all that. I can't make all that happen. Woo, but glory to God, I'm in the one who can. It's his righteousness. It's his acceptance. It's his blood. It's his covenant. And I'm in it. Hallelujah. Every promise, every provision is mine. And that's one of the reasons that every month we receive communion. We remind ourselves. Paul said to us, and Jesus said to us, as often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of me. Jesus said on that last night, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So it's through believing. It's by grace, through faith, we came into Christ and therefore came into the covenant that he made with his Father. And so that makes me and God Almighty covenant partners. So you might want to think before you mess with me. You might want to think before I would ever mess with you and do you anything wrong because we are covenant partners of God. And your New Testament is a copy of the agreement. So when you open this book, you're reading who, who you are. You're reading what you have. You're reading what belongs to you. And as you release your faith in it, you know that you're releasing faith in a blood-sworn oath 
based on the life of Jesus and the life of God Almighty. It is a forever covenant. I'm so glad that I know him, aren't you? We're going to sing.